you turn to God's Word, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of John this morning. And as we turn our attention to this incredible uh, story, this Gospel that has been declared by one of Jesus' closest associates, uh, we're going to see how God is going to change and revolutionize our life as He did the Apostle John. But as we do, would you just take a moment and pause with me for a word of prayer? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, and as we open your word this morning, I pray that it would change us, just as it changed the author John, his experiences, the moments he spent with you. It changed him to be a man uh, that was after you, who loved you and longed to serve and to honor you. I pray, Lord, that that would be the result of our time in your word today that we would seek to love you more and to honor and serve you in ways that would bring you glory. Lord, as we open the word today on this beautiful day, we recognize it's, it's not beautiful everywhere else. Lord, we think of uh, those in Afghanistan right now who are experiencing literally the, the demise of their country. We think of those who lost their life in the bombings, especially our servicemen and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. We pray you'd be with their families be with that entire situation. Give our leaders the wisdom uh, to do what is right and, and to not allow any more bloodshed to, to take place. Lord, also I think of those in Louisiana right now, right at this moment, who are experiencing 150 mile an hour winds and, and all kinds of other uh, meteorological issues because of the hurricane that's hitting the Gulf Coast right now. I pray you would watch over them and protect them. Be with those who serve and protect those communities that are most hit by this incredible storm. Lord, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace to us. And while these are difficult days that we live in, we thank you because we receive the good that likewise, as Job said, should we not receive the bad. And so, Lord, whatever you'll do this week, we pray that we'll give you great honor and glory. And we do so now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior and Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. In fact, let me ask you a series of questions. At the end of your life, when your friends and family are gathered around, maybe when they are uh, taking time to remember you at the funeral service, what are they going to say about you? What are they going to speak about with regards to their favorite experience with you? What are they going to say about your personality? about the things you taught them? What are the things that they loved about you that they hope and pray will continue as a legacy long after you're gone? Let's dig a little deeper. What things, knowing we're not perfect, what are the things that they might say, maybe a little quietly, the things that irritated them about you? What things might they say about the not-so-pretty moments in your life where you weren't at your best? What would they say about the potentiality that you had that you never tapped into? You see, after we're gone, people are going to tell our story. They're going to tell our story and they're going to speak about the moments and the times that were most impactful to them. Well, what you have in your hand today is a story, a true story, a story that is given about Jesus from what I believe is Jesus' best friend. 
The Apostle John, when writing this, about 50 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, sits down and he pens the true story of Jesus. And he does so because he loved Jesus. He does so because he was changed and transformed by Jesus. And he writes this so that he may share with the world who Jesus was and why Jesus is so worth following, obeying, and trusting in for our life and for our good. Now, John's not the first of the stories told of Jesus. In fact, there were three that preceded him. Matthew wrote, and he wrote a story to a specific group of people. Matthew wrote to the Jewish people. And Matthew writes, and the whole purpose for him writing the gospel of Matthew is to tell the Jewish people that this Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the great king of Israel, who the patriarchs look forward to and the prophets foretold about. And so Matthew, over and over again, goes to the Old Testament prophecies of the Savior, and he says, look, Jesus fulfills these prophecies And that is why we should worship and adore him. The second story comes, and it's written by a man named Mark. Now, Mark writes to the Romans. And like Americans, Romans were all about action. We always, like Romans, wanted to be where the action was. And so Mark writes his story, and he writes his story using a phrase over and over again immediately, moving from one action word immediately to another action experience in Jesus's life. It's the shortest of all the stories, but it is to show Jesus who is the master, the king, the highest rung on the ladder. But Mark says in light of that, he is to serve. He is to be kind. He is to take care of others. Now, that's an important truth because Mark's writing to the Romans, who the Romans were at the pinnacle. They were the top of the social class. If you were a Roman citizen, you were as high as you could be in the known world. But the Roman model was is that we were to serve our fellow man. And so Mark writes it and says, Jesus is as high as you can get. But Jesus, even though he was God, he sought to serve those around him. And then Luke comes along, and Luke writes his gospel to the Greeks. The Greeks loved details. The Greeks loved the nuance. The Greek loved all of the backstory. That's where we get, of course, all the Greek mythology. We read of the backstory, the nuance of the Greeks, and their mythological stories that they've told. So Luke gets into all the details. It's not uncommon for Luke to talk about the weather that day, uh, how the hillside is, what the journey was like. He gets into the backstory of all that's going on. Now, what he's wanting to articulate is that Jesus, he was God, and yes, he served, and he was the promised Messiah. But to the Greeks, what Luke wants to articulate is he is, Jesus, in fact, is the perfect man. He is what the philosophers told the Greeks they should attain to. He is the greatest intellect. He is the greatest with regards to his acts and his signs and wonders. And so Luke focuses in on those details of his life to tell a Greek audience that Jesus was the pinnacle, uh, the place that all human beings should strive for. So now we're looking at story number four. 
What in the world would John have to say that the other three hadn't already? Well, isn't it amazing amidst those three incredible Gospels that the Apostle John would write more that had nothing to do with the other three Gospels than any of the other Gospels? What I'm saying is what we've got is new information. Now, what he articulates as the last gospel writer, 50 years after Christ had left the earth, was that he didn't get into the details of the what, but the why. What John wants us to know is why Jesus came. Why did Jesus love? Why did Jesus serve? Why did Jesus say the things that he did? And his audience isn't the Jews alone. It isn't the Greeks alone or the Romans alone. In fact, 10 different times, 10 different times, John in his gospel is going to speak of his audience. And you know what that audience is? The world. The world. In fact, we're going to see that in the opening verses this morning. And what John wants us to know is he wants us to know two truths about Jesus. One that Jesus is God, and two, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now, a couple quick things about this story. First, it's not an exhaustive story. That is, it isn't all the details of Jesus' life. At the end of the Gospel of John, he says, if I told you everything that I knew about Jesus and all that I experienced with Jesus, there's not enough books in the world to contain all of this. But then he says it's not exhaustive, but there's an emphasis. And at the end of the Gospel of John, John says, the reason why I write these things to you about Jesus is that you and I might believe and trust him as our Savior. Now, let me stop there for a moment, and let's just take an example or take the example of John and and put it into our lives. John's whole purpose John's whole purpose in his writing of this book, his whole purpose of life. Now, he had been persecuted, beaten. He had been exiled to the island of Patmos. He had experienced great difficulty as a result of his faith in Jesus Christ. His whole purpose was that others might believe. Let me ask you this morning, are you telling the story of Jesus to the watching world around you? Are you speaking about and articulating the truths of what you've experienced and what you know of Jesus for the direct result to be that people might believe? That's what we're called to, to go and make disciples, teaching them all that Christ has taught us and to go in the world and to do it to the very end of the age. And John shows us exactly how. This is what I experienced in Jesus And I tell you, world, these things so that you may believe. Let that be what we do this week in our time with others in the world. Now, how would he start this incredible story? How would he begin it? Now, most times when we talk about those who are gone, we take time to explain who we are. Each time I do a funeral, I'll always give time for those closest to the deceased to share a story or a memory of the person who's gone. And almost like clockwork, what happens is is the person says, I'm so-and-so, and I was related to the person that's passed, or I was a neighbor, or I was a friend. You see, we get this 
helpful area to be able to say, okay, I'm going to hear this story about this person that we have in common, and I want to know the connection this person had. And so usually you get an introduction from the person telling the story. The Gospel of John, John gives no introduction about himself. In fact, twice it talks about a guy named John, and he's talking about John the Baptist. He's not talking about himself. So we don't know that it's the uh, John the Apostle until later on in the letter, but we know it to be him. So why doesn't he introduce himself? The reason why is when Jesus is the subject, he gets all the oxygen. He gets all of it. And what we see in John is John begins to gush about his Savior. He begins to gush and begins to worship the God of the universe. And that's what I want us to do here as well. And so this morning, we're going to learn three truths from an old man. And the first truth that I want you to know this morning is real simple, and it's going to change what's in the outline a little bit because I shortened it for you. And it's simply this, my friend Jesus is it. Write that down, get rid of whatever's at the end of that sentence, it's not needed. My friend Jesus is it. That is, he's my all in all, he's my everything, he's the first, he's the last, to steal the words from Barry White. He is everything. Now, why would he say that? What did he know about his friend that would cause him to say that Jesus is it? A couple of things I want you to write down. Number one, because John saw Jesus as Lord. He saw Jesus as Lord. Opening verse, it's right there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. So let's stop there. John starts out, and he tells the reader, Jesus is everything. And the reason why is in the beginning, before there was time, before there was space, before there was heaven and earth, before there was anything, there was God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is eternal. Now right away, remember, John is writing to a varied audience. The Jewish readers would stop and say, whoa, he just started like the... Old Testament started in the beginning. And so their ears perk up and they begin to listen and remember the words of Moses in Genesis 1-1. And right away we see something about Jesus. What John is trying to communicate is that Jesus, listen to me, in the opening lines of his story, he declares the following, Jesus is the boss. Jesus is in charge. There's not one element, there's not one aspect, there's not one iota of who we are or what we have or what we do that isn't under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when you come to Jesus, the first thing you and I must do is we must acknowledge He is Lord and we are servants. And when we acknowledge that, then and only then will we experience the goodness and grace of God. Now, what makes him Lord? First of all, he's eternal. 
He's eternal. Number two, he's equal to God. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. Right away, John has just allowed himself to be tried by the people for blasphemy. Jesus, this man Jesus, was and is God. Now the Jews are ticked off at him. The Greeks are intrigued. They're sitting there and they're listening and they're saying, wait a minute. Is Jesus one of many gods, this pantheon of gods, like all of the gods that would surround uh, Mount uh, uh, Apollos and, and, and all of that? No, he was God. The Romans would struggle with that because their words in those days was that Caesar is God. You see, when Jesus comes in the world, all earthly philosophies get shut down. It is Jesus and all others. One church said it was Jesus who is the greatest of all time. I like that church. So brothers and sisters, when we talk that we are followers of Jesus, we are believing in an eternal God who existed and is equal with God, so that differs us from the heresies of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, who say Jesus was created by God and he's not much different than us. He's just a little older in his creation than we are. That's not the Jesus of the Scriptures. It tells us that we are his servants, he's in charge, and so it reminds us that anything and everything that we do must funnel its thinking and its dreams and its purposes and pursuits through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and he says, this Jesus, who was eternal and is eternal, who is equal with the Father in heaven, he created all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so what we have is this Jesus. The reason why Jesus gets to be the boss, the reason why Jesus is Lord, is because he created everything. So everything you and I have, everything that we have in our possession, it is Jesus's because he is the one who created it, it is he who oversees it, it is he who owns it, and it is he who gives the judgment on whether or not we lived according to his plans and purposes. This is the friend that John is talking about. Now he says he's Lord, write this down, he's light. Notice now this word light is a word that John's going to use 36 different times in the gospel, and he uses it four times in our text, in verse 4, in verse 7, 8, and 9. And what does it mean that Jesus is the light? Well, there's two things that Jesus does. He exposes darkness because that's what light does. In a dark room, anytime there's a noise and we're startled out of bed, the first thing we do is turn on the light to expose that which is in the darkness and number two, it is to enlighten as the lights are doing for me right now so that you may see that which without the light you wouldn't be able to see. And so the lights enlighten what we're looking for. And so Jesus exposes the dark world to us so we can see what we're involved in. Number two, 
It enlightens us to whom? Notice at the end of the passage, no one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so Jesus has made known the Father who we cannot see, so we can see God and see what he's all about and what he requires and what he desires of us. So he's this light. Now, before we go any farther, this light, how does this light expose the world to its darkness and expose or enlighten the world to the Father in heaven through the Word? In the beginning was the, and that Greek word there is logos. And he says it numerous times. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Later in verse 14, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. That word Logos was a buzzword for the Greeks. It was the perfection of all rationale. It was the perfection of all intellect. It was the perfection of all strategy. It was... It was the pinnacle of what you were in the Greek world seeking to attain. Now for the Jews, this word logos would render them back to Mount Sinai when the word of the God came to Moses. And so what we have in John is that God has spoken. Now remember in our time in the book of Hebrews, just a year ago, when we started in Hebrews, God has spoken in many times, in many ways, through his prophets and, and through many signs and wonders, but now speaks exclusively through his son, Jesus. So Jesus is the heart and the mind and the thoughts of God personified. What the Apostle Paul says is in human form, all the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus. That's why John says Jesus is it. Now let me give you one more. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is light. And Jesus is life. Notice verse 4. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. So what happens? God is in glory, living in perfect community with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And after the creation of the world that Jesus is a part of, God puts man and woman in the garden and they're doing well for a while, and we don't know how long that good relationship went, but at some point, man and woman rebel against God, and there's this great chasm between God and his creation. And what the Trinity says to one another is, heaven, we've got a problem, and we need to address it. And the Son says to the Father, I will go, I will speak on your behalf, and I will tell the world where they've gone wrong and what they need to do to remedy the situation. And the angels must have asked, well, how are you going to do that? Are you going to draw it in the sky? Are you going to announce it from heaven? And Jesus said, no, I am going to go and I'm going to become like them. And verse 14 says, and he put on flesh and he made his dwelling among us and we received the glory, the glory of the one and only. 
Heaven came near. And heaven came near, and what Jesus did in living life with us is he showed us how to live, how to obey the Father, and what to pursue in this world. And he did so so that we might have life. In the 14th chapter of John, Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. In John 10.10, Jesus is going to say, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come from heaven to give you life and to give it to you in all abundance. So here's this Jesus. John has come, and John has said, let me tell you about my friend Jesus. He is it. The reason why is it? He is eternal. The reason why is it? He's equal with God. He is our Lord. He is our light. He is our life. And I want you to know something. He came to the world. And notice what John says is the response. He says, That the true light, verse 9, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. He was in our world. That Jesus, the God of the universe, He came. He walked our streets. He came to our house. He lived among us. He ate with us. He played games with us. He talked with us. He healed us. He took care of our needs. He ministered to us. The God of the universe moved into the neighborhood. And He made His dwelling with us. So that he could be sympathetic to our needs. He could be sympathetic to our issues. He could be sympathetic to our struggles. He came into the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own flesh and blood. Most specifically, he came to the Jewish people and they did not receive him. Two words there that I want you to see. Word number one. The world did not know him. That phrase there, know him. And then they did not receive him. The idea here is an intellectual decision. So Jesus came to the world, and he displayed himself and declared himself, here I am, I am here for you. And sinful world looked at Jesus and said to God, you can have him back. So what is the second point? John's second point, and the second truth we need to know is humanity is full of imbeciles. If you want a different word, maybe a little nicer, humanity's full of idiots. Now I do that, and I say that, and you say, well, that's not very nice. We're idiots. Let that sink in. The Bible says we are fools. Because instead of worshiping this Jesus, who came and he came to seek and to save that which was lost, we told God, return it. We don't want nothing to do with it. We don't need him. We've got it all figured out. And how crazy it is, we're lost. The Bible says we're sheep without a shepherd. That is, we're dumb animals and we don't know where to go or, or what to do. To illustrate this, let me tell you a story of something that recently happened to my family. We were driving home from a baseball game. And we were coming into our town. And before our town, there's a pretty decent creek and, and a bridge. And 
we were about to cross a bridge, but something was in the road that we had to stop with what we were doing. And it not only stopped us, but everybody on the roadway on both sides of traffic. And what we saw was a big mother deer with three of its fawns. And when I speak of fawns, I get in your mind the early part of Bambi, all right? Bambi barely able to walk on all four legs. These were young fawns. And they're on the bridge, and they're freaking out. And they know they're not supposed to be there, and they see the cars and all that. And the mom does the unthinkable. She bolts off. And the three little fawns are there. And now we're the first car in the one lane. The other car coming our way has, we've both gotten out of the car and we're trying to coax these three little baby deer to safety. And it isn't working. Two of the brothers, they take off. And now we got this one standing in the middle of the street, in the middle of this bridge. So what's the job? I want to go and I want to save the deer. And so I start moving towards the deer. The deer thinks it's Sasquatch and doesn't know what to make of it. Okay? Some of you are laughing way too much about that. And I start moving towards the deer. I am coming. Listen to me. I'm coming to save the deer. I'm coming to rescue the deer. I'm coming to make sure the deer doesn't fall to peril. You know what the deer does? It sees me and it runs over to the bridge, side of the bridge, and it jumps off the bridge. Okay? You should have heard the horrified voices in the first service. They were done. We just closed in prayer after that. Okay? I got to tell you right away, the deer fell into the water. It made a whole bunch of noises, but God in His goodness and grace had taught it somewhere how to swim. But that dawned on me. Here I am. I was the answer to the deer's problem. I could have helped it. I wanted to get it back to its mom. I wanted to take care of it. And that foolish deer, because of fear, because of all manner of things, because of its instinct, it said, run away from the person who is here to help. Let me tell you something. Here's the storyline of the Bible. If you want to know the Bible in just a couple paragraphs, it's this. We got lost. We got lost. And the Father, our Father in heaven, looked down at us And he said, someone needs to go and rescue them. And Jesus, acting like our big brother, went and he said, I'll become one of them. I'll put on flesh so they won't be afraid of me when I come. They'd be afraid of you, Father, if you came because you're a big God. And so I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to humiliate myself by becoming one of them. And I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to start yelling, Tim, Tim, stop running away. You're getting too close to the bridge. You're running yourself into more harm. Come to me, Tim. I know you're burdened. I know you're heavy laden. I want to give you rest for I love the world so much that I sent my son to die for you that you might have life. And because humanity has bought into the lies of the devil and rendered themselves imbeciles and fools, We run farther away from God, deeper into our sin, and deeper into our lostness. All the while, the answer is running after me. We sang that this morning. What powerful way that Cassie is saying it. The goodness of God is running after me. And humanity says, I don't want it. I don't need it. And we get deeper and deeper into sin. And then you know what we do? We blame God. 
So Jesus said, I will go and I will make a provision. So what does Jesus do? He puts on flesh. He makes his dwelling among us. We experience his glory. We experience his glory through teaching. We experience his glory through miracles. We experience his glory through the exercising of demons. We see his glory when he raises the dead. We see his glory when he hangs on a cross. We see his glory when he rises from the tomb. We see his glory when he ascends to heaven. And now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, he has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And the only difference between us and the world is that when Jesus Christ came calling, there was something in us that listened. Now, right away you say, well, I've got more faith, I'm more holy, and all of that's nonsense. But to all those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he made children of God. And it's not because of your decision or your intellect or the will of a husband or the will of someone else. It is because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came, and we said, God, we don't want nothing to do with you. And so we see a couple of things. Jesus is it. Humanity is full of imbeciles. And three, God's grace is incredible. Because what God's grace does is notice this Jesus, who's full of grace and truth, he dies for us. And he gives us the ability to have eternal life. This Jesus, notice in verse 16, and from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And the idea there is upon grace and upon grace. God's grace is incredible. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this God of the universe who humiliated himself and we with hostility put him on the cross and tried to put him to death, he came. And though we were enemies of God, made us children of God. So let me ask you this morning, what do you know about Jesus What have you experienced with Jesus? Maybe today, in your ignorance, in your foolishness, Jesus has been calling. And you just keep running away. Listen to me. Turn around and give your life to Jesus. John says, I write you these things that you may believe. And if you've come here today never believing in Jesus, stop running from him and run to that voice that's crying out. Whether you hear it through John the Baptist or this preacher that's speaking to you now or a still small voice of the Holy Spirit, whatever voice is calling you to heed the voice of heaven, do it and do it before it's too late because you will never experience the grace, the love, the mercy and the comfort and the peace of Almighty God that is made available through Jesus Christ without believing in his name. Because when we do, as we are going to learn in this series, when we believe in him, listen, it will change your life. It will transform you. John was a fisherman. John knew what he was doing. 
until he started to hear the words of a guy named John the Baptist. And then in hanging out with John the Baptist, John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John and his brother James would leave the one they were following and follow Jesus. And as they listened and heeded to the words that Jesus taught, as they saw Jesus show his power and his majesty and glory, over time, they were changed. And the same opportunity is before you and I. Will we believe in this Jesus? Will we allow him to change us? And will we, over time, trust him with more of our life, and in doing so, experience the abundant life that God longs, church, for you and I to have. Amen?